0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com. It's not true, he never begged. He just begged this time, so I'm finally here. Usually, Motze Shabbat, we, we the Ashkenazim, tonight we start saying, Slichot. I'm usually flying to England, so all these, all the years that he called me, I wasn't available. But Baruch Hashem, we did. I'm I'm just coming back now. Last week, I was in London. I was uh, one night in uh, in um, Belgium, and then I flew back um, to Chicago. So Baruch Hashem, I told them that I have an opening. Muchi Shabbat. Of course, I would come. I, I love this neighborhood I love this community. I've been here for a long time. Started with the Namatis. Um, They got me to come here. And uh, Dorian, and there's a whole, a lot of of history, a lot of history. Sheena, um, there's a lot of history, and I love to be here. I enjoy it very, very much. So it's not like I didn't want to come. I just wasn't here. I was usually on an airplane. So the subject I want to talk about is when I went to, um, last time I was there, I don't know if you remember, I talked a lot about cell phones and, and internet, and that was before Snapshot and all the other things that was before that creation. Um, I still have my little flip phone, just got a little bigger, but still a little flip phone. So when I went to Europe last week, um, when I was in Belgium, so the people, they're, they're like seven years behind us. They're, they're, they're not up to date yet exactly. They're catching up to us. And um, so the parents met me before I spoke, and they were telling me, you know, you really shouldn't speak against technology. Because you have to tell the children that parents, we're adults, and we know how to use it. And children have to realize, just like a car, until you're 18, you can't drive. Or a knife, you don't give your little child a knife. Kids have to understand that we are old enough and mature enough to use technology. And they're not. And I don't agree with that at all. Um, Because as a child... I looked at my father and thought he was the smartest man in the world, and had a lot of respect for my father, so whatever he did, I surely could do, because he's smart. So if you're smart, and using a smartphone, because you're smart, and you're my father, I surely could. So I, didn't, I, don't, I don't agree with that, and, and many times when I speak, and the, the schools want me to talk about technology and, and not, not, you know, that children shouldn't be all day long on their on their games and game box and whatever it is. And I always say to the parents, if you have a smartphone, why you why are you here? if you have one, kids do what they see. They don't do what they're told. You're some young guys here, right? You do what you see. If your parents do something, you do it. If they don't do it, if they tell you not to drink, right? Don't drink scotch. You're too young. And they're drinking scotch. You going not drink scotch. They tell you not to smoke, right? They smoke pot and they tell you not to smoke pot, you know. You're going to smoke pot. So we don't do what we're told. We do what we see. So they didn't agree with me. I was having a little bit of an argument. So I told them a story. I want to share the story with you guys. It, my English, they, they, they talk Flemish in, in Belgium. So it takes them a little bit longer to understand. You know, Whatever you say, it takes two more minutes to, to grab what you're saying. So it's interesting. You make a joke. Nobody laughs. And all of a sudden, two minutes later, in the middle of your speech, everyone laughs. Okay, whatever. So... I told him the following story. Everyone here knows what a pickpocket is? Pickpocket is when you're in a a very, you go to a ball game or you go to the airport, all of a sudden your watch is not there. Your wallet's not there. Your ring is not there. There are some people that, they're pickpockets. They bump into you and all of a sudden your shoes are not there. So there was a very famous pickpocket. And he used to, used to hang around, he used to hang around in airports and he would see a woman with a beautiful ring. So thank you very much. So he would... Uh, oh, no, I'll come back next year. So, two minutes. Okay, anyway. So he, w- this, this, he saw a lady with a very beautiful diamond ring. So he bumps into her. Boom, he got it. Right? And she doesn't even know. She keeps walking. And he puts it in his pocket. He was the, he was the best, the best pickpocket they were. And he's walking towards to get out. Now, he doesn't want to get caught by the police. He's walking out of the airport. And a girl, a young woman, bumps into him. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. And she walks to him, he's like, that was very weird. And he puts his hand in his pocket, and the ring that he pickpocketed, she pickpocketed off him. (laughs) So he was the best. He said, What? And he runs after her and he says, Did you did you just pickpocket me? Did you take that ring out of my pocket? She takes that out of her pocket. She goes, This? He goes, Wow, you're better than me. We need to get married. She says, Why do you want to get married? He says, Imagine, I'm the best male pickpocketer. You're by far the best female pickpocketer. If we get married, our child is going to be the best pickpocketer that was ever in the whole world. We need to get married. They got married. She gets pregnant. She gives birth to a boy, a little baby boy, the best pickpocketer that's ever going to be. So, they go to the infirmary where the babies are. And this little baby is laying in the thing with his hands closed tight. And he goes over to the doctor, the father, and he says, What's going on? I never saw such a thing. doctor says, Everybody's talking about it. A baby born with his hand. And, 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 and since he's born, he, we can't open his fingers. We're trying. We don't want to hurt him. We're trying to open his fingers. We can't open his fingers. And he turns to his wife, the pickpocketer, and he says, Oh my gosh, this child will never be able to pickpocket. His hands are closed. You can't pickpocket with like your hands are closed. And they're very, very upset. And the doctor sees them, very upset. They got married to have the best pickpocket, and the kid Hashem made with his hands closed. So the doctor sees this, he looks at the parents, he says, You know what? Let me try something. I'm going to take off my watch. It's a gold watch. And I'm going to flash it in front of the baby. And maybe when the baby is looking at the watch, he won't be thinking about his hands. you will try to open his hands while he's looking at the watch. Okay? He takes off his watch to the doctor. And he flashes the watch in front of the baby. And all of a sudden, before they could do anything, the baby opens his hands. And the earrings of the nurse fall out. (laughs) It takes a minute. Don't tell me that kids don't do what their parents do. You understand? It's a story. It's, I, don't, I don't think it's a true story, but it's a good marshal. right? It's a very good marshal. You didn't expect that to happen, you have to admit. right? That's what we do. We grow up to be like our parents. So if we, the parents do the wrong thing, the kids are going to do the wrong things. And after that, nobody said anything to me anymore. Nobody even talked to me in Belgium anymore, but nobody said anything, anything. So I think it's a very important lesson for all of us. Your kids will do what they see. You're a drinker, they'll drink. You're a smoker, they'll smoke. You do things you're not supposed to, they'll do things you're not supposed to. It's called spiritual DNA. And parents have to understand that, that you set an example for your children. And most of us, at least when we're young, we look at our parents like they're God. They're everything. You get into a teenager, you look at your parents, you don't even know who they are. But until you become a teenager, daddy, mommy is like the main thing in the whole world. So we have to be very careful as parents Especially if there are young parents in the room To be very careful how you behave In front of your kids You think, actually he's a little boy He doesn't understand They understand and they follow And they watch and they copy Okay I want to talk about the month of Elul It's a week left That's it, that's it There's eight days left Eight, nine days left for Shoshana To the biggest case of your life You're asking for life you're asking for panasa, to make a living. You're asking for health. You're asking for shalom bayis. You're asking for children. You're asking to find a wife, I hope. And you're asking to find a husband, I hope. That's what you want, right? So, this is it. You stand on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, Yikosevon, will be on Kippur, Yikosevon. It's written on Rosh Hashanah. It's signed on Yom Kippur. How many will live? And how many will pass? How many will be in pain? And how many will be able to rest? How many will become poor? And how many are going to become rich? Everything is written. It's a very big day. I don't think people realize. This is it. Rosh Hashanah, that's it. I, Baruch Hashem, have never been in court for a big court case, but I have been in court, in traffic court, for speeding, for not stopping at a stop sign. It's happened much young. Not now. Someone's looking at me now. I'm talking 40 years ago. But... I remember I got a ticket on the um, Staten Island Expressway, which is the worst place to get a ticket. Those Nazi cops with their boots and their hat to get out of that car, you're done. I had badges, I had things, I had all kinds of stuff from the police, from my friends. I took out badges and police things and cards, and the guy says to me, put those away or I'll take them away. I'm like, but my cousin's a policeman, and Josh from Queens, he's my friend, and I'm the rabbi, and... And he's like, what does that have to do with anything? So they they don't listen to anything you have to say, these guys. So anyway, I got pulled over, and I got a ticket, Staten Island Expressway. Okay. So the court is in Brooklyn. I go to court, and I have a plan. A brilliant plan. When he pulled me over, it was at night, radar, and it's not that far from Newark Airport. And I know the government has a weather forecast for the airport. It's a government paper. And I, it was raining, it was foggy. How he got me on radar, I, I don't understand how he got me. So, you do understand how he got me? Oh, okay. But anyway, looks like the judge a little bit. But anyway, okay. So, so, I called up Newark Airport and I got a printed report that the weather... Because on the ticket, it tells you when you got the ticket. 10.19 p.m. So I asked him, what was the weather at 10.9 p.m.? They told me, raining and foggy. I said, what was the visibility? How far could you see? No visibility. It was really, it was very bad weather. Okay. I got a printed report. Hoping that the cop, the policeman, the highway guy, would not remember what the weather was like. So he gets up, speeding, radar. He reads the whole thing. The radar... The identification, x, z, da, and I'm sitting there, and I mamish have butterflies in my stomach because you're sitting there in court and you have all these policemen lined up on the side, and every single guy that walks up, the judge goes, Guilty! Five points, four points, $175, that, right? Everybody's guilty. Everybody was guilty. I'm hoping that he won't remember the weather. So the policeman gets up, he says the whole story, and I get up, he says, Any questions for the officer? I'm like, I have one question. Yes, what's the question? Sir, what was the weather like when you gave me the summons? He looks in his notes. Do you have these papers? He's looking. He goes, it was a very beautiful, clear night. And I'm like, yes. I said, what would you say the visibility like? How many miles visibility? He says it was a clear night. I could see you clearly that it was your car, not a different car. right? And, he's, and I'm like, I got this guy so good. I said, really, sir, could I approach the judge? Now my butterflies are gone, and I'm like an eagle. like, I got this guy, and I'm going to make him look so stupid in front of the whole court. And I walk up, I say, say, according to the National Weather Forecast, NWS, this is a legal paper from Newark Airport. There was no visibility. The road was, it was raining. It was very bad, right? And all the cops that are on the side... They're looking at this cop. They're like, "Whoa, Jewish kid!" You know, I, I, I beat you. I beat him. And I'm standing there with a big smile in front of the judge. He's like, right over there, and he says, "Guilty! Guilty!" I'm like, "What? Guilty? What speed? Six points, two hundred fifty dollars." and the cop is smiling. They're all smiling because, you see, in that court, it don't matter what you say. So I said, sir, I said to the judge, sir, he had the weather totally wrong. He says, but his radar was totally right. At the end of the day, you were speeding. I don't care what the weather was like. Next! Now, let me tell you, everybody. On Rosh Hashanah, in Yom her. you got a lot of stories and a lot of excuses. But at the end of the day, the Satan, who whispered in your ear to do what you weren't supposed to do, he's got the radar. He's got a picture of what you did. He's got a sound bite of what you did. And when you get up there and you make up all your stories, he just says, good story. Did you eat non Kosher? I don't know. Really you don't know? Play the video, and you see the person. What you cannot get away with it. You cannot get away with it. And that answers. Now you're all sitting there, right? Watson, you came. You should have stayed another five years. He came to Great Neck to scare us, to tell us we can't get away with it. Is Hashem that kind of judge? So the answer is as follows. I'm answering a very big question, and the question is like this. In the Shulchan Aruch, it says that Elul Aleph Lamid Vav Lamid stands for. Ani Vidodili. I am to my loved one and my loved one is to me. What else does it stand for? Anyone know? Elul? Ish Umatanot A man gives to his friend and matanot where does that come from? Porim? Right? Do you give shlachmonos? It sounds very ridiculous. Who gives shlachmanos on Rosh Hashanah? So it seems to me that the rabbis found an Aleph and a an and a Vav and a in Purim. And they said, okay! Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, Yishra'e, Eubat, Talos, It doesn't make any sense. What is this doing in the time of Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is, the reason I told you the story about my speeding ticket. And the answer is, nobody, nobody, the biggest tzaddik, can win the case because at the end of the day, there's no tzaddik that didn't do a sin. And at the end of the day, the prosecuting angel has pictures of you. The whole reason there's internet, right? There's internet and pictures and sound bites and podcasts and all this other stuff is that we realize from our electronics that you can know where someone is at all times. And the people... Who I'm not sure Nobody here would do that. But the people who their kids have phones, you could you could track exactly where the phone is at all times. So it's not so hard to understand. How does God know what I'm doing in my room? How does God know what I'm doing in my closet? You know that you can know exactly your kids in the closet. You know exactly where they are. You can't. Not that anyone would do that here. We all do that. But anyway, follow your kid exactly where they go. So the, the technology, we know. That Hashem is going to see on Rosh Hashanah everything I did this year. And therefore, I don't have a chance. The prosecutor is an angel. He's an angel. That's not an easy prosecutor. And he wants you to die. His objective is to kill you. Because the Satan and the Malach is the same guy. He wants to sentence you and execute you. This is not a guy who is playing games. The lawyer that's against us on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, he's not here to play games. It's the Satan, and the Satan is the Eitzahara, and the Eitzahara is the Malach He's one guy. So how are you going to beat him? How much tshuva can you do? How bad do you really feel about what you did? So the rabbis came up and said that if you create a relationship with the judge, if you're the judge's son, you're the judge's friend. You're the judge's wife, and they have a good relationship. You have nothing to worry about. I'm teaching now, and Harrah, forty years. No comments. I said this in L.A., and the, the women on some woman screamed from the other side. You don't even look like you're forty. <laughs> I'm like, I will be back in L.A. every year for free. Nothing to talk about. <laughs> I'm waiting. What happened to Great Neck? Okay, he looks like he's 80. All right, fine. <laughs> it's another five years, man. Another five years at least till you'll see me. Bleed neither. Anyway, so I'm teaching for 40 years. I have had every kind of student that you could possibly have. In all my 40 years, anytime I have a student that's a troublemaker, I've never heard a parent blame the kid. I don't know in this neighborhood, I don't know this community, but they come to me, I have to be very careful. I tell all my teachers... To be very careful, especially with fathers, when you talk about their daughters, they teach girls also. So when a mother comes and you say something about the girl, you know, she's making trouble, she doesn't do her homework, she's disturbing the class, the mother's like, Don't worry, Rabbit Wallstein. When she gets home, no more iPhone, no more friends, I'm cutting her off, no more movies, no more food, no more clothing. Forget about it. I don't even know if I'll let her breathe. <laughs> well, when you tell the mother, and they're all sitting there, that your son is a big troublemaker, and he's disturbing, and I can't have him in my class, every woman says the same thing. Every one of them says the same thing. you know why, Rabbi Wallstein? Do you know why my son is not doing well? Because there's a boy in your class who's a really bad kid, and he's ruining my son. And then when you talk to the mother of the kid that she's talking about, he's talking about her kid. You know there's a boy in her class that's really making really making trouble. Or... Or Wallerstein, my son... Listen, if you were a good rabbi, he would be doing much better. You don't know how to teach. <laughs> and then some mothers say to me, I don't even want to go to your school! My husband forced it! God forbid you tell a mother something bad about her son. God forbid... Duck... Duck, if you're a teacher, if you tell a father something wrong about his daughter, forget it. Listen, your daughter Chani, you know she's making trouble. My daughter, you are talking bad about my daughter am I? My boys are waiting outside when you come home tonight. Don't talk bad about my daughter. You don't tell a father bad about his daughter. You don't tell Hashem something bad about his daughter. And you don't tell the Shechina, you don't tell the Shechina something bad about her boy. But there has to be a relationship. He has to be a daughter. She has to be a daughter. And he has to be a son. Ovinu Malkeinu. We call Hashem Avinu before Malkenu. Why do we call Hashem Ovinu, my father, before Malkenu? Because if you have a very poor father, he can't give you any money. But if he's Malkenu, if he's the king, he has everything. So you're my father. And on top of that, you have to be the king. So I have everything. But the relationship has to be a good relationship. If you have a dysfunctional relationship with your father and you hate him and you're abusive and you don't have given up aim, and then you call Hashem your father, it's an insult. So you have to have a relationship with God. You have to have a relationship with your parents. So the Chachamim said, instead of saying Elul, I need Din Li. I'm going to go to judgment, and judgment's going to be on me, which is serious. It says no, 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 no. You need to make a relationship because otherwise you will always be guilty. Like my little court case. No matter what you're going to show, you're going to be guilty. But if you have a relationship, if you're close to our Kodesh Baruch Hu, if you have a relationship with God, and that's what I'm here to talk about tonight. I'm not here to talk about give you musr. I'm not going to talk about drinking. I'm not going to talk about marijuana. I'm not going to talk about drugs. That's not my subject. I just talk about it. But I'm going to talk about a connection between us and Hashem. Because at the end of the day, what's going to save your life that you get another year next year... Here's your connection with Hashem. Because if you're his son, I'll tell you a very famous story where a king, some prince he killed somebody and they found him guilty and he had, to be, he had to be hung. So the king called the hangman that he's going to be publicly hung. But he didn't want to kill the king's son because the, the, the hangman knew that if he's going to hang the king's son in the end, the king's going to hang him. Even though he deserves to die. But after he sees his son dead, he's going to be, who hung him? You're also going to hang. He didn't want to get hung so what did he do he cut the rope he left a little piece of the string when they put the kid up and they pulled the chair out the kid fell the rope ripped he fell to the ground safe alive the king ran over to him because you can't hang him twice and said thank God he's alive and he he turned to the hangman and he saw that the rope was cut and he turned to the hangman and the hangman figured I'm finished because he told me to kill his kid and I did it and he turned to the hangman and said thank you thank you so much thank you for saving my son he said but you told me to hang him he said that was the law, but I didn't want you to hang him. So whatever you need, you get. In the end of the day, Hashem wants us. To, he wants to give his children life. He wants to give us a wife. He wants to give us a panasa. He wants the women to have a husband. He wants the right thing. But you have to have that relationship. Otherwise, you're going to end up like me in court. And therefore, what the, what the rabbi said is, is the I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me." It sounds like Romeo and Juliet. It's not Romeo and Juliet. It's a relationship. But it's a very different relationship than we have a whole year. A whole year, before we say Kriyashma, so what do you say, Kriyashma? We have a commandment. We have right? It's Hashem Bechol You have to love Hashem with your whole heart. I never understood that. You can't tell me to love someone. When do you tell someone to love someone? Go over to someone and say, I want you to love her. I don't love her. But you have to love her. I don't love her. I don't have no chemistry, right? So how could the Torah tell you you have to love God? And the answer is amazing. And it's very important, by the way, in relationships altogether. I deal with a lot of kids that don't have relationships with their parents and I deal with a lot of husbands and wives that don't have very healthy relationships. And many times I tell the parents, and I don't know if it's a Sephardic meaning, but it doesn't matter. Because today all men hug them are out. It's very important for parents Ashkenaz, Sephardic, Hasidic I don't care who you are To tell your children that you love them With your mouth I love you, you're special I pray to have you as my child I am proud of you You need to talk The old school doesn't, didn't talk They felt that by telling a child I love you, it's a weakness No, no, you're not supposed to do that And maybe with the way they were brought up in their country, that was the truth. But in our country, kids today, they're soft. Whatever we are, we need to hear that. And believe it or not, wives need to hear from their husbands, I love you, you're special, I care about you. But remember, they know it. I pay the bills. (laughs) I let her use the credit card. What do you mean? She doesn't know I love her? Right? And guys all together, for some reason, women don't think that they have to tell guys that they love them. Guys, guys are masculine. They don't, they don't need compliments. They don't need anything. But I don't think there's a man in this room. If I took him privately into a room and asked him, would it be nice if your wife ever said, you're special and I love you, it would mean a lot to them. I know when I give Shiurim and I, and, and I, people come over to you, Rabbi Wellerstein, amazing sometimes. Amazing shiur, was fantastic. Oh, wow. I said, like, thank you very much. It's very nice. It's nice. But when my wife comes to a shiur and she says, wow, that was, uh, that was unbelievable, I'm like flying, because she tells the truth. <laughs> so she says it. Right? So women, you should just know that we as men, we're not going to tell you that we need a compliment, but it goes a hundred miles. And we're not going to tell you that you have to say I love you, but it means something. We work very hard and we and we, we try very hard to help the family. Every once in a while, it's nice to get a, a "I love you or I thank you. And the other way around, women work very hard to bring up your families. You'd rather go to work. Trust me, I tried one day. You'd just rather go to work. You'd even rather learn a whole day, believe it or not, than, than stay home and bring up the kids. It's very, very hard. So, part of a relationship is saying that I love you. Now let me tell you something that you don't know. Before God can ask us to love him, Right? Well, in Kriyashma. Whether you're Svarti or Ashkenaz, the bracha that you make before Kriyashma in the morning, Haboche ba'amu ba'ahava. You make a bracha and you say that God chose us with love. So first God says, I love you. And then he says, now you need to love me. God says, I don't have a right to ask someone to love me. Unless I tell you first that I love you. At night, before we say Kriyashma at night, Baruch Hashem, Ohev Amo Yisrael. Again, Hashem says, I love my nation Yisrael. And then He asks us to say Kriyashma. He will never ask us to love Him until He says first I love you. It's a very deep, God, God, you hear this, Is God. God doesn't ask a human being to love him until he says I love you and you want your wife to love you without you saying I love you and you want your husband to love you without saying I love you God says I can't ask for that and you think you could but in Elul it flips I am to my mask to Hashem and Hashem is to me we in Elul have to say first I love you why? Because during the year, Hashem says, I love you, therefore you have to love me. In Elo, we say, I Dodi," Hashem, I love you, and therefore when it comes to Shoshone and Kippur, and I'm going to be standing in front of you, you have to love me. It's a flip. We first take the first step. But at Wallace, how do you take the first step? What, I should buy him a Walmart card? I should go home tonight, put a rose in the vase, say, God, this is for you, I love you? How do you love God? How does one love God? What does that mean? It's a state of being and a state of mind. And I'll explain to you how you love God. So most of us it's not so easy. We don't see Him. We don't feel Him. We don't think He answers us. How do I love Him? He doesn't need anything. What am I going to give Him? I can't buy Him a present. I can't can't pay His credit card charges. I can't pay His mortgage. Like what? Like what? How? Rabbi? I don't know how. I don't know what to do. So Chachamim said something unbelievable. They said there was a time on Purim where it says that we were mechabal God with love. How would we mechabal God with love? So any parent that's in this room, if I were to say to you, I could give you something, or would you rather I give it to your child? There's no parent in this room that would say I come before my child. If you take care of my child Rabbi, it's more important than taking care of me. So the Chachanim said, how do you take the first step to show Hashem love? Take care of His children. Give a present to a broken person. It's not money. It's a smile. It's help. There's someone in the community that needs help. She's a widow. There are orphans. They're off the derech. They're a drug addict. Whatever, whatever is going on in their life that they're broken, right? Hashem needs someone to take care of them. So the people who take care of God's children show God that they love Him. So it's very important in the next week for everyone in this room to find someone a child whether it's a female or a male of God another Jew and help them make them smile financially a kid, I, I talk, I'm talking to the young ladies on that side and the young men on this side there are so many kids in yeshiva or in public school that have learning disabilities. And they need a tutor. But the parents don't have $150 an hour or $75 an hour. So they can't get them a tutor. They need a mentor. They're coming from a dysfunctional home. They need a guy to take them out, shoot some hoops, play some basketball, take them out to eat. You don't understand, I'm a Rebbe for for a long time. I'm assistant principal in my school. I teach eighth grade. There are so many little kids in first grade and second grade that come from dysfunctional families who are getting no attention. Do you know what it means to a little kid when a 19-year-old guy walks into the house to sit and learn with them for an hour and take them out for pizza or take him to a game even though he has low self-esteem and nobody talks to him. He comes into class and he's like, you know who came to my house last night? No, who? Judah. Judah who? Judah Friedman. How old is he? He's nineteen, and he took me out. And the kid walks around with crazy self-esteem. Who in this room can't tutor first grade math? Or well, the alphabet? We're wasting our time on stupidities. God gives us life in this world, and instead of spending time helping, and helping, let me tell you something: we lost two. 100 kids in the New York area this past year to suicide and overdose of heroin. 200 children. People under the age of 30. From 30, from 1 to 30, we lost 200. If I told you in this room that there are 200 kids on a bus in Israel, and the terrorists in Gaza just captured the bus and they're going to blow them all up. Listen everyone, I need $5 million before I leave here tonight. I have a friend in Gaza, and he will sneak the bus out and save the 200 kids. I will raise $5 million in Great Neck in three minutes. In Brooklyn, in three minutes. 200 Jewish kids in Gaza? In two seconds. If I told you, listen, he's an Arab terrorist, but he said that if, when they, if, if the Jews agree to learn with these 200 kids an hour a week... I'll let him go you'd be like the terrace is sugar. of course we'll do what are you crazy we'll do 10 hours a week we lost 200 girls and boys to overdoses in heroin and suicide jumped off bridges jumped off buildings I don't even tell you how because they believed that no one in this world cares about them anymore that's the secret I deal with this all the time When a person believes there is someone in this world that did not give up on them, they will never kill themselves. It could be a Rebbe, it could be a friend, it could be a parent. But when you think that no one in this world cares, and everybody gave up on you, you don't want to be here anymore. So who's responsible for these 200 deaths? All of us. Everybody is. We could have saved them. We could have taught them in first grade. We could have taught them in fifth grade. We could have been their mentor. We could have taken them to a Knick game, to a Yankee game. Because if a kid has somebody, or a girl has somebody, they're not going to hurt themselves. The problem is, everyone's been with their stupid phones, and they're all the day looking at this piece of metal that has no emotions and no feelings, and you just waste your life. You waste your life, and you waste everybody else's life. And it's the Sutton. The Sutton's idea is technology. Because if you need it for business, use it for business and turn it off. You want to watch the Yankees? Watch the Yankees and turn it off and you don't need a phone to watch the Yankees. What is it? His whole idea of technology and being on WhatsApp and all this stupidity a whole day is to kill time. Because time is life. When you're busy with your phone, you can't be busy with anyone else. You don't see your wife, you don't see your husband, you don't see your kids, you don't see your parents, you don't see anything. You see a bunch of digits. The first thing you wake up in the morning is you look at these digits. Did someone call me at 4 o'clock last night? Because if no one called me, I don't exist. A girl in my school, she came screaming out of the bathroom, yelling, I thought, I want to say what I thought happened in the bathroom. I can not believe it! I'm like, oh my gosh, who's in the bathroom? The janitor? I don't know what happened. What happened? I'm like, what happened? Tell me what happened. I call the police, nine one one. No, you understand, know my phone is still in the toilet. <laughs> I'm like, okay. No, I lost all my contacts. I don't know who my mother is, my father. I don't know anybody. You're laughing. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> Rabbi, I'm with you. I'm with you. We know, they know it's true. Believe me. Yes, of course, I have a school in Brooklyn. I would never make up such a story. <laughs> you can't even make up such a story. But it's okay. Because in my school, we have a Triass <laughs> HaMeitim room. You have huge bags of rice. You stick that phone into the rice, and maybe by the next day, it's back alive again. Triass <laughs> I'm begging all of you. I'm begging you. This is not about religion. This is not about Orthodox. Shabbat. He's a rabbi. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not Shabbat. I am Shabbat. But I'm not a rabbi. It's about life. We're losing our kids. The Goyim. Toy Magazine. Every week. They're screaming. We're losing everybody. You're losing yourself. You don't even know who you are. The only reason you know who you are, what you look like, is because you took 600 selfies today. <laughs> The whole word selfie, what does it mean? Selfie comes from the word selfish. I'm busy with myself. I don't see anybody else. I'm not helping anyone else. Selfie, selfie, selfie. It's all about me. You used to be happy me growing up. I got up in the morning. I looked in the mirror. I brushed my hair. I knew what I looked like. I didn't have to see myself every two minutes. With all kinds of weird faces. What what are you doing? You're sugar That's what you want to look like. See, people walking the street—they got these girls. You like, and then you have that stupid thing with the long thing with the mat. You know, we're not—we're out of our minds. We're cracking into. You're in your car. You're in your car. Relax. Put on some music. You're a human being. What are you doing? You're in your car. You're talking. You're in the bathroom. You're talking. There was one kid I was talking to the other day. He flushes in the middle of talking to me. I'm like, Chaim, where are you? He goes, oh no, Rebbe, usually, I, usually I, put it, I put it on mute. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't sit on the toilet for two minutes? Right? It's not normal. You're laughing. It is so sad because on Rosh Hashanah, what are you asking for? Well, bre- let's break it down for a second. Let's break it down for a second. I don't mean rap. We're not, I'm not going to start rapping. But let's break it down for a second, everyone. we in the room. We're all chever. We're all friends. Let's break it down for a second. Let's think about this for a second. What are you asking for in Rosh Hashanah? If I went around the room, what are you asking for? What are you asking for, Rosh Hashanah, Mitzvah Hashanah? Life. Life. Because all the other stuff, right? Happiness, health, marriage, children, a new car, Tesla, you know, sides go up, like really cool, right? All the things that we're asking for, if you're not alive, it's, it's a waste of an ask, right? You can't have money or health or children or marriage if you're dead. So the bottom line is, the, thing that the only thing that you're really asking for, general, is life. Then you have all your details. Now that I'm alive, I'd like to get a new car. Now that I'm alive, I'd like to have kids. But the main thing that you ask for is life. What's life? A phone? Life is time. That's it. 60 seconds to the minute. 60 minutes to the hour. 12 hours, 24 hours to the day. They figured it out you could do it after Myshear. You could Google it. You have a m- over a million seconds of life every year. Over a million seconds. So when you stand in front of Hashem, you're like, Hashem, can you give me a million seconds? Because you don't want to live like half a year. You want to live a whole year. So you're asking for time. So now, if, you're the, if I'm the prosecuting angel, I'm going up against you. Okay? Let's, let's do a little court case for a second. So what do you want, kid? God? God? I want a year of life. I'm a prosecutor. I'm like, yeah, for what? Tell God what what you what do you want life for? Um, unlimited mili- minutes on my Verizon. Uh, I want to play Xbox for like ten hours a day. Uh, I want to be on WhatsApp. What's Snap? What's that? What's something? So I'm the prosecutor. I'm like, God, one second. You created a world in six days. On the seventh day you rested. What did you create? You created five senses. Things that you could smell. Things that you could taste. Things that you could see. Things that you could feel. Right? We got all five senses. Things that you could see. One second. A phone. A technology. You didn't create. God didn't create technology. God created man. And gave him the ability for technology. But he didn't create technology. How do you know Hashem didn't create an iPhone? Maybe in Rashi on the fourth day. Right? Oh, Rashi says he created the apple. He didn't mean the apple that grows. He meant the apple phone! Some kids believe that. A kid asked me, Tisha, I'm talking to Tisha, I'm crying. I'm talking about the base of Migdash, which was destroyed. It was my share a few years ago. And I'm talking, and I got the whole class, and they're all like Exactly where I wanted them. They're broken, and it's earth tish above. And I'm like, but it's Ratz Hashem. It's It's a true story. It's Ratz Hashem. Moshiach going to come. And the third base of me is I'm a kohen, right? And I love you, Sfardim, by the way, because I don't get to do bichat kohenim because I'm an Ashkenazi nebuch. And if I would come to your shul, if I come to your shul, I come up. I don't know if they do by the Persians, but by the Syrians, when you come up to do bichat kohenim, they have this rose oil, rose water, rose water, and they wash your hands on it, and I smell good a whole day. I'm like. and as you walk down, they kiss your hand. Ashkenaz, you do They're Like, hey! what, what, t- what took so long? <laughs> Why did you go so slow? I love you guys. You guys, you guys are amazing. You're amazing. So, so, so I'm fighting. I'm, I'm, I'm the prosecutor. I'm like, so all this time that you want, what, what do you, Hashem? It's man-made. How do you know it's man-made? Because it doesn't say. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that a kashbar who made apple and technology. This kid says to me. Can I ask you a question, Rabbi? Don't get angry. I'm like, no problem. He says, it talk in the Midrash and Kabbalah. They like Kabbalah. Everyone likes Kabbalah. I know you guys like Kabbalah. You're into that. Are you a Kabbalist, Rabbi Wallerstein? Nah, I'm not. Anyone, want anyone afterwards, for $50 a hand, I read palms. I'm not. Anyway. So, oh, he reads palms. Anyway, so, this kid, this kid gets up, he's asking me honestly, he says like this, he says, Rabbi hey, Wallerstein, the third base of Midrash, is it going to have Wi-Fi? straight up I said what like is it going to have like an antenna and if it it has an antenna on it is it going to be made of solid gold or wood covered with gold I'm like are you crazy that you asked me this question? <laughs> he said, but, but, but Rabbi, if there's WhatsApp at that it's WhatsApp at that time, right? And and there's technology at that time, the Bayshamid Dash is on, so shouldn't the Kohanim, like the wives want to know what part of the Baedash and they can text it. <laughs> he wasn't joking, he was very serious. I said, let me tell you when, when is gonna come, it's very Kabbalistic. You're not really supposed to tell anybody, but God's gonna move the earth. <coughs> A drop? All the satellites are not going to work. <laughs> ha! Ha on all of you. Now, one rabbi got up and said, How is it possible that Mashiach is going to blow the shofar, right? And the whole world is going to know. Simple. You're going to do it on WhatsApp. He's send it out to everybody. <laughs> no. And this is not what's happening. The prosecutor is going to say, Why are you giving this person life? He doesn't live in your world, he doesn't smell flowers. He doesn't walk into a fruit store and say, Wow, look at God, he created all these different colors and different tastes for me. He doesn't use his hands and his feet. He uses his fingers to text, but he doesn't use all his senses. He lives in the man-made world. He doesn't live in your world. So why would you keep him in your world? So when a person wants to live for next year, you need to cut down. On your time and technology. You need to say to Hashem, I love you. I'm a little bit uh, addicted to my technology. But I really want another year of life to live in your world. To make a bracha on a flower. To make a bracha on a fruit. To help another human being. Because that's why I'm in this world. I'm in this world to help your children. Oh, you're in this world to help your children. Even if you don't deserve to live. Because you are such a sinner. Not anyone in this room. But such a sinner. You don't deserve to live. You deserve to die. But... You're helping my children. I need you to help my children. So give them another year of life. So the secret that the rabbis are saying is that by helping the evyonim by helping other people, that will save you when it comes to the din, no matter what, because you're taking care of Hashem's children. You're tutoring this little broken kid who Hashem knows, if he continues to be broken, the, the, the root of everything, of children that are depressed, and anxious and cutting and suicide and anorexia and all the mental illnesses the root is low self esteem is not feeling accepted feeling I'm different nobody talks to me no one wants to be my friend I'm not doing well in school I'm not smart I'm not pretty I'm not a good ball player I have yet to meet a kid that's heavy on drugs, that's a ball player. My first question when I deal with addicts is, do you play ball? They're all like, no, why? Because a ball player, the adrenaline of, of competition in sports, that adrenaline is better than any other drug in the world. So a guy who's a ball player, who goes out there to play, who goes out there to win, I never did drugs. I was a hockey player. My friends did drugs, they drank, they had girlfriends. I was a hockey player. I thought that I would be in the NHL. I had skates on when I was three years old. My dream, I played with Goyim, I was in a a semi-college league. My dream was to be a New York Ranger, not to be a rabbi. But I realized into my dream that you don't have any idea what a professional in sports is. You don't even understand the level for a professional to make the NHL. You don't even understand no matter how good you are. But I knew in hockey, I was a left wingman, that if I'm going to be slow than the other guy, I'm going to get splattered into the wall. And then I'm not going to be the best player that I can be. So I can't drink. And I can't smoke up. And I can't be busy with girls. My girl, my drug, was my stick and my hockey puck and hitting that getting that puck with a 0-0 or a 1-1 20 seconds left in the game and, and taking the shot that wins the game and it's all Wallstein and everyone's screaming and that's your dream as a, as an athlete you don't want to just play you want to hit the winning goal the winning basket and and you're on a high you don't need to do drugs and there are so many kids that don't think they're good ball players there's so many guys in this room that could take a kid to a game that could take a kid to a park there's so many girls that could ice skate They could figure ice skates. They could be musicians. Nobody gives them the time. Everyone's busy with everything else. So that kid gets pulled to the side. And that kid starts to feel bad about herself. And then she starts to harm herself. And then it starts to stop eating. And it just goes from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And then she ends up in my rehab in the ranch up in the mountains. A very sick, very painful scene to see. We all have this kayak. We're all coming to Hashem Rosh Hashanah. Give me life. We don't want life to be on my phone to watch a movie. Movies. Movies. Movies are very important. Do you know why? Because movies are a proof to Tchias Mason. People don't believe that someone could die and come back to life. So, in the old days, before I did Tshuva, I used to go every Saturday night to the movies with my wife. And if I watched a movie that I liked, like a western, or a shoot em up movie, which they hate, they don't like that stuff, or science fiction, which they really don't like, I would have to go to one of her movies, and the movies that the women like, are they're called crying movies. They sit there, and everybody dies. And it's romantic. And they die, and they're sick. And everything goes wrong. And all the ladies in the whole place, they're crying. And their are tears, and they're passing the tissues all the friends. And I'm sitting there, and the guys, we can't cry, even though it's pretty sad, these movies. But you can't cry. You, we laugh. Like, well, how did you laugh? I don't know why I married you. What are you laughing about? And they're all crying, they're all crying. then, after they're crying so much, at the end of the movie, right, they can't get up. They're sitting there watching all the credits. Like, who do you care if the fourth cameraman, who, right, they're sitting there crying, and they come up, they don't even talk to you in the car. It's quiet in the car. They're still crying. Still crying. You don't understand. You don't understand what you just saw. So I'm like, okay. It was pretty sad. Like Romeo and Juliet. She died in his hands. And then he died. Everybody died. <laughs> and then a month later, my wife says, Zachariah, What's her name? You remember that last movie we saw? I said, yeah. She's in a new movie. I'm like, she died. <laughs> you cried. How could you be in a new movie? HaMesim. <laughs> Sometimes in the same theater. They died in that one. And she's superwoman in the other one. Mama's Chies HaMesim. But at the end of the day, ladies, you know what a Jewish tear can do? You know what a woman's Jewish tear can do? It says in Shemayim, there's a wall. A tfilot can't go through the wall. But a woman's tear, Shari Dima, can break the walls. Every tear can take cancer away from someone. Every tear can bring a child into the world. Every tear can bring a marriage into the world. A Jewish woman's tear, and you're wasting it on a movie? Where the actress gets up and walks out, and the next next, month later she's in another movie? Or in a book? You're crying on a book that isn't true? You want to cry? Go to Memorial Sloan Kettering and look at all the little Jewish kids that are boiled because they're suffering from cancer. You want to cry? Go look at the real world. Stop looking at the fake world that the Satan created. We have plenty of reason to cry. There's so many people suffering, guys. We're wasting our time. His object is that you should waste your time on this world. God gives you the greatest gift and you should throw it in the garbage. So I want to end with two stories. A story that just happened to me. True story. So, Baruch Hashem, I have five daughters. I don't have five sons. Thank God I'm not a Sephardi. You wouldn't let me into shul. Okay. Ashkenazim, if you don't have a boy, okay. They still give you an aliyah. If I was here, you guys would be making fun of me every time. It's like, Wallace, did you, you have a boy? No. No, don't do B'chakorinim, we don't want your bracha. Okay. <laughs> if you give us your the bracha, then maybe we're all going to have only girls. Okay. bet. Okay. Hashem, I have five daughters. So my youngest one just got married. B'chashem, Hashem. Just got married. My fifth one just got married, August 7th. Okay. In Jewish, in Yiddish, we call it the mezinka. Mezinka means the last one so they have a dance when the Muzinka the whole family goes around and they have, they have a broom but we, I said I don't want no broom because I'm not brooming my kid away right but they come they give each parent a rose it's beautiful it's very beautiful it's called the Muzinka anyway I'm very excited it's, my, it's, uh, it's the Shidduch crisis and to marry all five girls and I have five normal son-in-laws so far anyway right so that's Bar Hashem It's amazing exactly four weeks before the wedding I'm walking out of the Beit Knesset I trip I fall a bone in my, in my foot, I heard it pop, I felt it pop. I broke it in half. <laughs> you think it hurt? It hurt more than that. <laughs> I'm laying on the floor, and I'm like, I just broke my foot, I knew that. And when I call Hatzalah, I'm like, don't call Hatzalah. I don't want to be embarrassed, I sneak into my car, I go straight to the doctor. I knew right away before I walked in, my foot was already huge. And he takes an x-ray and he says, "Oh, you broke your lateral, blah, 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 whatever it's called. But I have to tell you, Rabbi, if you had to break a bone, it's the best one to break. I'm like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. I'm glad to hear that. I'm really happy. Now I'm happy. I'm good. I said, listen, I have a wedding in four weeks. I need to walk to the chuppah. He says, well, uh, it takes at least eight weeks to heal. Six to eight weeks to heal. You're going to have to wear a boot. They don't put on a cast in put on a big boot. Like a ski boot, it looks like. I'm like, you don't understand. You don't know my wife. The nematis the, 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 the know my wife. There's no way now my wife, Esty, is going to let me walk to the chuppah in a boot. and a wheelchair, she'll tell me, don't come to the wedding. <laughs> Forget about it, I don't want you there. Right? My boot, it doesn't match my socks, it doesn't match my jacket, it doesn't match my suit, it doesn't match my tie. She's not letting me go down in a boot. He says, okay, you'll come the day of the wedding, in the morning, I'll take an x-ray, I'll let you know. So I'm very careful the four weeks, because I really want to dance. But my foot's killing me. I go Tuesday morning, August 7th, Tuesday morning. I go for the x-ray, he takes the x-ray, he goes, it's starting to heal, but it's still broken. So, I said, but you don't understand, I cannot wear the boot. He says, okay, before the wedding, put your foot in a pail of ice for like two hours, have them stretch your shoe, the shoemaker, and you can wear a shoe when you walk to the chupa, but by dancing, no shoe. Why? He says, because if you don't put on your boot, by dancing, someone's going to step on your foot, because they see your shoe, and you're going to faint. Because your foot's not yet healed. I said, okay, I agree. So, Baruch Hashem, I put my foot in the pail. Ice, ice. I'm sitting there before the wedding in ice. I stretch my shoe. I, I put on the thinnest, I buy the thinnest pair of socks. And I just get my foot into the, into the shoe. And I, if you look at the pictures, I limp to the chuppah, like oh, whatever. Okay, Baruch Hashem. I shine my shoes. She was happy. My wife was happy and matched my suit. It was good. We <laughs> finished the chuppah. I'm sitting down in the chair. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, and I gotta got put on the boot. I'm not putting this boot on in front of the whole wedding. The pictures are gonna be terrible. Anyway, so I said, you know what I'm gonna do? True story. I'm gonna do the first dance when the Khatan comes out. He dances with his father. Then he danced with the father law I'll dance with him once. They'll take some pictures. And I'll put on the boot. Okay? So, Khatan comes out. He danced with his father. He had a lot of friends. Everyone jumping. I'm sitting here. I get up to the Khatan. And I'm like, cinnamon not one minute into dancing, he steps on my foot. <laughs> He's a big guy. I didn't faint, but I got as close to... I saw the little dipper, the big dipper. Every star in Shemayim, saw every star I saw Mars, Pluto, everything. I never in my life felt such pain, ever. And I was like, I did not know what to say. He's the like, what am I going to say? You just stepped on my foot, you broke it again? Like, why don't we tell them, right? So, instead of saying... I said, "Oh, are you so mad, you're will go. And I sat down. I was in such pain. Everyone's dancing. One of my grandsons said, "Zadia, are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, everything's great." Yeah. I'm sitting there watching my daughter, my daughter's wedding, and I'm missing it. I'm sitting on on the side. At that point, I knew I wasn't getting my shoe off. That's for sure. My foot was. <laughs> I said, "You know what, Wallace? Listen, you probably just broke it again." I'm going to dance the night away. It's broken anyway. It's killing me anyway. It's not going to get worse. I'm going to dance the night away. In fact, I'm a drummer and I'm going to use it to play the drums because I need my foot to play the drums. And I'm just going to make believe like, you know, and okay, so now I have to wait another 8 weeks. I don't have another wedding. Okay. It's my last child. That's it. No more weddings. Baruch Hashem. This is it. I'm not going to miss my last child's wedding. I want to be in every picture. I want to be jumping up and down. And let me tell you, I danced probably at that wedding more than I danced anywhere else because at that point, it was totally not my foot. I didn't feel it anymore. <laughs> okay, end of wedding. Could not get my shoe off. Forget about it. Took me a day. I slept with my shoe on. <laughs> Looked a little funny. Anyway, that was Tuesday. Friday, I'm on the way to Shabbat. We, we have a. We have the Shabbat, the girl has to make it, it's another wedding, different discussion. And there's no band on Shabbos, but anyway, and no photography, I saved some money. And there's a girl that I'm very close to, very, very close to, not my daughter, not my daughter, but no father, dysfunctional family, whatever it is, I've been helping her, she's like my daughter, she's like my daughter, she's not my daughter, she doesn't live by me. And she had called me two, three weeks before the wedding. Told me, I got a new dress for the wedding. I got my hair done. I got, I got my hair set up. I got my nails set up. I got my makeup set up. I was like, why are you telling me all this? She's like, because I want you to pay for it. <laughs> Shalom Aleichem, okay. So she had all this stuff set up. Okay? And I'm driving. And I turned to my wife. And I'm like, Hani was not at the wedding. She told me she had a dress. She told me, what's going on? Hello? Khani, were you at the wedding? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I couldn't come. I'm like, you have the flu? What's going on? She says, No, Rabbi, I didn't call you, but for the last two weeks I'm in very bad depression. I lost 10 pounds. I haven't taken a shower in two weeks. I'm not eating. I cannot get out of my bed. I want to die. But she said. I said, excuse me. I want to die. I just want to starve in my bed. I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. And I'm thinking, I said, okay. Let me just tell you something. I said, I went to my wedding. He stepped on my foot. I never felt such pain. My foot is swollen. I'm sitting in a chair. And I have every right to say, I'm not dancing. They'll, in five years, they'll ask me, why weren't you in the pictures? I have a good excuse. I, uh, I'm sorry I missed the wedding. But I had a broken foot. I said, but when you know it's your last wedding, you get up and dance. When it's your last daughter and your last chance you get up and dance no matter how much it hurts. No matter how broken your leg is, no matter how swollen your leg is, you get up to dance when everyone else is dancing because you know that that's it. I don't have a sixth daughter. I have five daughters. This is it. This is my mazinka. I am not missing my mazinka. And I said to this girl, I said, honey, every day when you wake up is your last day. Is your mazikah. You don't know that tomorrow will ever happen. So many people wake up and there's no tomorrow. And when you know that this could be your last day, as much as it hurts, and you're right, you have a lot of dysfunction, you have a lot of trauma, you're right, and I was right. He stepped on my foot, it was broken anyway. I was in pain. I had a right not to dance. But I'm not going to get another chance. Therefore, I don't care how much it hurts, I'm going to dance. I said, Honey, I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care how much pain you're in. If you understand that every day of your life is your last day, you're not going to lay in bed. You're going to take a shower. You're going to eat. You're going to pick your chin up. And you're going to make that day the best day of your life. I said, I know what it hurts. It still hurts. I'm standing in front of all of you. And let me tell you, my left foot hurts. And it's swollen. But it doesn't matter. Because I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. If I'm going to wake up tomorrow, at least I went to Great Neck and I gave a bunch of people a chizuk. So i got to do what I can. Every day by me is my last day. Stop wasting your time with the stupidity. This could be your last day. What are you doing? Use the phones when you need them and that's it. you got mothers and fathers and children and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives. What are you doing? And you may be right, it may not be the best marriage. And your parents might not be the best parents. And you are be having a very hard time in your life. And you have a right to sit in the chair while the world is dancing and not be part of it. But not if it's your last day. If your last day, you can't sit in the chair. If it's your last day, you've got to get up and dance. And no one in this world but God knows when your last day is. And my last thought: You have five minutes to sleepless, which is very important. It was a little kid. I could not explain this in England. I try to explain them baseball. They don't understand what baseball—a bat with a ball. I tried in Belgium. They—they they have no idea what I'm talking about. They play cricket, some weird game. I don't know what that is, right? With a stick, they want to tell if it's the same. I'm like, no. Cricket's in America. They make noise. That's it. That's all we know. <laughs> I don't know about cricket. So this little boy. So Their kids were not athletes. He, could, he wasn't a good baseball player. And on his block after school every day, they would have a game and they wouldn't choose him in. Ugh, you're no good. Ugh, you always strike out. Ugh, we don't want you on our team. And this poor kid was getting depressed and he would come home and he would cry. Nobody chose him in. And his mother felt very bad. And she's about to send him to therapy because he's very depressed and all the kids are playing. They don't choose him. We're not choosing you You're no good. And her friend comes over and says, Do you know, I see what's going on with your son. Do you know that there's a bat, a baseball bat, that's called the super bat? And they sell it in models. She says, What's a super bat? She says, a super bat is you just touch the ball, and if you touch the ball, it goes a home run. It goes 500 feet. And if your son just touched the ball, he's gonna be like the best player, and they're gonna choose him in. And all the other kids are gonna play with his bat. If you buy this bat, he's gonna be one of the boys. Really? She goes to models. She goes, You have the super bat? Yeah, we have the super bat. How much is it? He goes, $149. Well, how much is a regular aluminum bat? $29. She says, $29? $149? He goes, hey lady, it's much cheaper than therapy. (laughs) Okay? So she buys the bat. She comes home, you can imagine, super bat. All the kids heard about the super bat. She comes home, and her little Chaim is there, and she says, Chaim, I want you to go out and play with your friends. No, Ma, they don't let me play, I'm no good. No, no, no. I bought you the super bat. super bat, the one that you just touch the ball and go through a home run. That's right, Chaim. You're going to go out there, just touch the ball. And if you touch the ball, you're going to be the best player there. And he's all excited. Ma, can I see the bat? She takes it out of the bag. Beautiful, big, aluminum bat. And she hands it to him. He says, Wow! The super bat. And he takes the bat. Whack! He hits his mother. She goes, What?! He goes, that's right, ma. Whack, whack, whack. He starts to beat up his mother with his bat. And her, his mom she's bleeding. And the, the woman, the, the, the friend says, are you crazy? Take the bat away. He's beating you up. What are you doing? He's abusing you. She says, no, it's okay. He'll hit me a couple more times. He'll get tired of hitting me. He'll go out. He'll hit a home run. And from then on, he won't hit me anymore. And he'll be chosen in. I don't care. It's my child. I'll take a beating for my child. Who, uh, who doesn't take a beating for their child? And the friend says, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand. You're letting your son hit you? What, you bought him the bat, so he should be a ball player, and he's using it to hit you? Anyone in this room have any rahmanas, any pity for this little boy? He's an animal. He's a mishugana. Take a bat to his mother after she bought him a super bat? No rahmanas. Ladies and gentlemen, we are that little boy, all of us. Every morning, God gives each one of us a super bat to hit a home run. To come and spend the day in this world and help somebody and do what God asks us to do. He gives us a super bat. He gives you eyes to see, ears to hear, hands to feel, legs to walk. Right, a mouth to speak, and what do we do? We take those eyes that he gave us, that super bat, and we look at things we're not supposed to. And we take that mouth and we talk about, we talk back to our parents, we talk nasty to each other, we talk and hara, rechilus. What comes out of our mouth and what goes into our mouth? What we eat, we use that mouth to do everything that we shouldn't do, and we keep hitting God. Yeah, he gave me a mouth. Well, look at this. I'm going to eat something not kosher. Whack. I'm going to talk about something I shouldn't. Whack. I'm going to look at girls that aren't dressed. (coughs) A whole day. A whole day. That's all we do. I'm not going to wear a skirt like I'm supposed to wear a skirt. You gave me a body. You gave me legs. You gave me clothing. No! I'm not going to wear clothing like you want. I'm not going to be a (coughs) Whack! I'm going to show everyone my body. The body that God gave me. The baseball bat. I'm going to use my wife. I'm going to use my husband. I'm going to use my children. I'm going to say the wrong things. A whole day long. So you know what the angels say to God? What are you doing? Why would you give this guy's eyes? To look at girls? Why would you give him a mouth? To talk about Shinhara? Talk back to his parents? Take his life away. Take the bad away. Rosh Hashanah. Take the bad away, says the Satan. You gave him a super bad a whole year? What did he do with it? Nothing. He didn't help anybody. He didn't do anything for anybody. Take the bad away. Don't give him life. Hashem says... He hits me. He does all these Averot. But he's my son. I love him. When he gets finished hitting me, one of these days, he's going to come and debate Medrash. He's going to start learning. He's going to start davening. He's going to start putting on tefillin. He's going to start having Shemir Senayim, what he looks at. He's going to start using his mouth to do the right thing. Hashem says, it's okay. He's my child. Yes, I give him life and he abuses it every single day. But sooner or later... Sooner or later, you're going to see he's going to hit a home run. But we only have a week to show Hashem that we know how to use the bat to hit a home run, to help another Jew, to not to talk by tzi We only have a week left to show him that he bought us the right bat and he gave us a super life. Everyone in this room, Baruch Hashem, most of you look alive anyway tonight. For Baruch Hashem, he's given us life. That's why time is called the present. The greatest matana that everyone has in this room is that you're still here. That we're all still here. And he's giving us a mazinka. He's letting us dance tomorrow morning. He's letting us dance tonight. We have to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. we got to get out of the chair. And we got to be part of his world. And the, and the phone and the movies and all the stuff that's man-made is not part of his world. It's man-made. If it falls in the toilet, it's over. If the battery runs out, it's over. If you turn it off, it's off. I can't turn off this room right now. Even if I want to. I can't make you all disappear. I can't make anyone disappear. I can't make this cup disappear. I can't make anything disappear. Because it's made by Hashem. It comes from Hashem's things. I can't. But a phone, you just turn it off and it's over. The screen is blank. All the lives and all the 900 friends you have on Facebook. When the baddie runs out, they're dead. You can't talk to any of them. So my message of coming here tonight is to all of you to start living life like it's your last day. To start using your life to hit home runs. To be nice to the people around you. To pray with meaning and not to talk when you're praying. Not to talk bad about other people. To use your life day by day like you don't have another day. So my bracha to everyone here And what I told everyone so far is take on yourself to Rosh Hashanah to say thank you. To Darabah. Thank you. Ten times every day. Not to the same person. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I did it. Ten different people. Just say thank you. Thank you, Ma. Thank you, husband. Thank you, wife. Thank you for opening the door. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you for the drink. Thank you for the bus. Thank you for the... Just ten thank yous every day to another person and three compliments. That's hard. Give three people a compliment. You look good, you smell good, you're smart, I don't care what you tell them, but a compliment. At work, which is very hard for us as bosses, to walk over to a secretary and say, I just want you to know that, that I may not, don't think I'm giving you a pay raise, but you're really something special. And you should just know that I'm so at ease in my business because I know that you're that you're running it. And a salesman, I just want you to know that, that you're helping yourself, but you're also helping me make money. Not, they don't get that at work. God should be with you. Your children should be healthy. People who work for you, three compliments. Because then when you stand by Rosh Hashanah, even if even if it's like the traffic cop and the traffic judge, Akresh will say this one you got to leave alone, Satan. He takes care of my children. He takes care of the world. He said thank you. He has a karosatov. He gives compliments. We need to load up for Rosh Hashanah that we we have to earn to be here next year, and that when I come back next year, all of us are still here and more. We have to earn this. It's not a freebie. And the way to earn it is to make a relationship with God. And the way to make a relationship with God is to take care of his kids. Your kids. And his kids. Other people's kids. That's how we make a relationship. So my bracha is that everyone should get a super bat for another year. Amen. And everybody should hit a home run. Shana Tova.